I've mentioned before, I don't necessarily need the microphone. I know you guys can hear me, but uh, we are recording, so that kind of helps us in our recording of what we're doing and uh, putting it up on Facebook and all, and YouTube. And for those of you that have, yeah, you know, if you've missed a, uh, a message, a sermon, a time that uh, you're not able to make it, many of you have uh, done that. You've, you've chimed in online, and that's good. Uh, we had one person. And uh, we want to thank you. Uh, I forget what his name was. Uh, uh, but he, he typed in uh, here a couple Sundays ago. says, hey, I can't hear anything. And I, and I go, who is this? I go, I, I don't, some guy named Mike, I think. Mike, I want to welcome you for listening online. And, uh, well, a bunch, of other, a bunch of others that are also as well. But thank you for, uh, for, for tuning in and uh, listening. And, and uh, I pray that you're getting the Word of God as uh, we've been getting it and learning from it. I've had a great time going through the book of Colossians. I've had a great time looking at uh, how Paul has been dealing with this church, as I mentioned before. And I pray that you have been as blessed as I have and as uh, we have as well. Um, but uh, I want to, I first of all, uh, read our portion of Scripture. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. And then I'm going to go back and just touch a little bit upon, on uh, what we've been talking about and then jump right into a godly home, and a godly workplace. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you again for this opportunity that you give us to come together and, and dive into your word. And it is such a, a, an honor and a, and a blessing and such a great privilege to be able to hold your word in our hand. Father, we know that, that your word is, is uh, complete. We need nothing else. It is sufficient. The scriptures have been sufficient for us, and that's all we need. We don't need any other outside source, any other outside revelation, because what you've given us is sufficient. As we've been studying the sufficiency of Christ and how Christ is all we need as well. We don't need any other tradition or any other uh, outside source to come in and tell us how it is that we are to be saved. We have your word, and we thank you for that. It's been preserved just for a time like today, that we can dive into it together and look at it and see it. And I pray, Father, that we can be as honest and as, uh, and, and, and as, as we can to your word, that we can just hold your word and see it. So, Father, how you apply uh, your scripture, Holy Spirit, onto our life, I pray that each one of us can leave here today with, with just a further instruction and just knowing one more thing about your word. This is a portion of scripture that has been preached often. And many uh, are familiar with it. And I pray, Lord, that today, it's, uh, as, as we have, we'll probably go over the same thing that many people have gone over before. But I know that you'll, you'll give us uh, some additional instruction today. So thank you, Father, just for loving us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Well, I'm glad we got a child in the house because that's what we're talking about is children. In Colossians chapter 3, we went over... <coughs> rules for a Christian household, uh, and um, we, we talked about how it is that we are to be able to respond to one another. Remember uh, that the, this portion of Scripture, as, as you opened up to Colossians chapter 3, I also want you to go back to Ephesians chapter 6. I want you to put your finger on there because we're going to bounce back over there like we did last Sunday. Because Colossians, and what Paul tells the, the city in Coloss and the uh, and, and uh, the other two cities that he's talking to. And as he's sharing with them, he, he basically just gives them a summation of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and on to chapter 6. And Ephesians really opens it up for us. We looked at it last week, and uh, we're going to have to look at it again this week 
to, to be able to see what Paul, how we can apply this to our lives. I believe that scripture is sufficient. I believe that with, with what Paul wrote to the people in Colossus, they were able to and see that and realize, okay, I've got to learn how to do this on a regular basis. I've got to know how to do this. And we remember that he also wrote to the people in Ephesus because we got that letter. And so we can put these two together because the best commentary for the Bible is the Bible itself. So what we did last week and what we're going to do this week is I'm, I'm showing you that there the, you don't need any other outside sources. Commentaries are great. I use them all the time. And, and I'll share some, a little bit of uh, another commentary this morning from what I've been reading. And commentaries are good, you know, but that's the, the best commentary is the Bible itself. And, uh, and as we've been going through classes and, and some of the, the discipleship classes that we've been through, I've kind of showed you how it is that you can find other verses that relate to the verses that we, you're dealing with. And so today is going to be another one of those times that you can see because Paul's not the only one that talks about this. We also hear something from uh, Peter, and we also, well, it, it talks about obeying your parents. The whole Bible is just about that, of obeying your parents. The book of, so um, book of Proverbs as well. Listen to your father's instruction. So we're going to touch on a few verses this morning. But I'm going to go ahead and read out of Colossians chapter 3. And uh, I'm going to reread what we read last week and then finish off in chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, submit to your husbands as it, as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, but there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Once again, we had theology for the first couple of chapters of Colossians. Now we have practicality, how to put this into practice. You cannot know what to do unless you know what it is that you got to do. Uh, I believe doctrine always dictates our behavior. Doctrine always dictates what it is that you do. Doc doctrine is, is how we live our life, because everything that you have, no everything that you have done in your life, whether in the church or out of the church, you have done it because of a belief system that you have developed. And this world has given us a belief system. Our, our schools have given us a belief system. Uh, workplaces have given us a belief system. We have a belief system that we've learned from tradition, our parents, and a belief system that that's how we operate. This is how mom did it. This is how grandma did it. Therefore, this is how I'm going to do it as well. And so discipleship or being a new creation, we've been talking about this, taking off the old, putting on the new. You take off the old garments and put on new garments. The old garments led us in the way of the world and, and taught us how to operate in the world. You know, somebody got mad at me, I got mad back at them. Somebody disrespected me, I would disrespect them. But we've been finding that this new man is totally different, and it goes contrary to what we believe and what we believed, and it's hard to all of a sudden shift gears, you know, because I don't operate that way, or at least I didn't. I didn't operate that way. But see, the Bible is telling us to do something totally different. 
And that's exactly what discipleship is. That's exactly what the Word of God is. And uh, as I was talking to some uh, people yesterday, we were talking about how the world is doing this and how they do that and how they don't hold marriage in regard as the way that it's supposed to be. And, and I had to stop them and say, you know, believe, uh, believe this. You need to know this, first and foremost, is that the Bible is not for the world. The Bible is for you. The Bible is for the church. See, the world has its own standards. Now, if we can win them over, then we can show them what the Bible says. This is how you are to conduct your life. Then, yes, we, use the, the, we give them the word of God, and we, we share the word of God with them, and we are also able to show them what the word of God says, and you put it to heart. But to expect the world to respond and act the way the word says it's, it's, it's incongruent. It doesn't work. You're going to frustrate yourself. You're going to be frustrated. And all, all the things that are going on in the world, you're going to think, you know what? It doesn't matter. Well, beloved, we have, we have enough information and resources in our hands to be able to c encourage one another. And for me to take this to heart, I need to take it to heart first. I need to apply it to my life and then live it out and walk in the manner that the word of God has given us, taking off the old, putting on the new. And when it comes to the, the submission of children, excuse me, the submission of wives to husbands, loving your wives and, and not, not being harsh with them. Last week, I mentioned this, that this is the this is the portion of scripture where the Bible says wives submit to your husbands. But when it talks to children, it says children obey your parents. And when it talks to slaves or bond servants, it says obey your masters. You see, a wife is not to be talked to as a child. You obey me. A wife is not supposed to be talked to as a servant. You do what I say. But that's how it responds, and that's how it, most people act in the world. What we need to do is love our spouses, and our spouses and our wife, in return, submits to us. And we talked about that last week. You can go back and listen to that one. But today I want to be able to look at this portion here. Uh, godly home. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It pleases God. It pleases God, and, and why? We're going to see why here in just a bit. But it pleases God because this is a model. This is a reflection of God Himself. Because when you obey your parents, your parents are a picture of who God is. Unfortunately, for many people, they didn't have godly parents. You know, I didn't have godly parents my father was one that was abusive and so when people would tell me he says hey you know we want you to come to know who jesus christ is and i would say well, why would i do that because god he's your father he's your heavenly father and he loves you just like your earthly father and seriously i used to think <laughs> if he's gonna be anything like my earthly father i want nothing to do with him and i would kid around and i knew that there was something more than that but you know sometimes for me Father was a very, it was one of those trigger words that, mm, never mind. And people talk about their dads, you know, I don't want to listen to it. And it was just one of those trigger words for me. I had to come to a realization that God is a perfect father. And so when God is telling us, children, obey your parents, he's asking you, he's telling you, not asking, he's telling you that this is a, a command because it reflects how you're going to react and respond to other authority. And parents, we'll talk about that in just a bit, how it is that you're supposed to not exasperate your children, not to provoke them to anger, 
because it helps them to respond and, re and react to the way they will, they're going to get information from other authorities. Number one, as a child, how am I supposed to respond? Because the word here that is being used is techna. Techna is the word, the Greek word, which means children. Like Paul would say, my beloved children. You know, Timothy, my child in the Lord. He wasn't calling him a baby. He wasn't calling him a young child. But he was calling him a, a, a child, a techna, he, was, he would call them. Uh, Nepios is the word for baby. And Pidon is the word for a grown well, Actually, it's the other way around. Pidon is the word for baby. Uh, Nepion is the word for a grown-up child, like three or four or five years old. When Jesus said, uh, let the Pideons come to me, he says, let, the, let them come to me as children. He wasn't calling them technons. He was calling them children, the baby children. Here he's saying every child, every child, regardless of your age, regardless of how old you are, you are to honor your father and obey your parents. And parents is another word. This word can actually be, uh, it, it is uh, trans translated as parents, not just as fathers. Obey your parents in the Lord because this is good. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6 now. Let me show you here just a little bit. In, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul tells the people in Ephesus, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Basically almost the same words. And then he goes on to explain it a little bit more. He says, Honor your father and mother. He gives us the, the commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and he says, Honor your father and your mother. And then he gives this little commentary. This is the first commandment with the promise, by the way. You know that? I want you to know that all the other uh, commandments didn't have a promise until this one. And this one here has a promise. And here's the promise that if you honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You've probably heard that saying or that joke where people say, I brought you into this world. Kids, I can take you out of this world. And basically what God is saying is exactly the same thing. I brought you into this world. If you don't honor your parents, you, I, can, I can just take you out. Your life can be shortened. And it's unfortunate that many dishonoring children have dishonored themselves. And you see the results of how God has just caused curses and, and not blessings upon people and the lives that the, they've led. But a lot of it has to do with how they were raised as well. I know that was the same thing with my life. As a child, how do I listen? How do I obey? Number one, I obey and listen. I obey and listen. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You obey and listen. And, and children need to be disciplined. They need to be brought up in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Train up a child in the way he should go, Proverbs 23 tells us. And then when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, listen to your father who gave you life, uh, another Proverbs. And do not despise your mother when she is old is another proverb. And, and it's always constantly talking about the children listening and listening. A disobedient child is a, uh, and an unruly child is, is a mess. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. I've raised a couple. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I did. Uh, I've, raised, I've raised a few, and they were, I mean, it was sometimes they get unruly, and you got to deal with them in a very uh, compassionate but stern way. You have to deal with them in that way. And so as a child, we want to listen as children. We want to teach our children to listen because what you're doing when you're helping your child listen and learn, what you're doing is you're giving them direction and you're giving them an example of how they should obey and listen to the Lord. 
Now, as a young man, number two, as a young adult, I need to respect and revere my parents. One of the things that happens from childhood to adolescence or teenager as a young adult, there, there's, this, there's this gray area that all of a sudden, you know, it's like, okay, I don't need to listen to you. Kids come to, come to a point in their life where they realize, what are they going to do to me? I mean, what are you going to do? Take away my birthday? I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to do whatever I want. Uh, I heard this comedian once say, you know, he says, you know, I don't know how, you know, at the, I don't know how it is with you, but in my house, it seems like the teenagers are just, they're just, they just don't pay attention. And, and you know, it's, and it's, it's, it's God's cruel way or joke of saying, okay, let me have you create something in your image and then disobey you and see how you like it. That's what he says. And then he goes on to say, I don't know how old Satan was when he rebelled against God, but I'm going to say mm, probably about 15, you know, so that's what he's saying. But something happens, and what happens there, the child starts to see some inconsistencies, or he just starts to spread his wings, or there's some things in his life that seem to have uh, just blossomed. Things start to happen at that age where they start to see the chink in the armor of the parents. They're not perfect. Look at them. Look, look how they grew up. Look at the things they've done. I remember one of my kids kind of threw that in my face. You know, well, you used to do it, and I, I responded, but it still wasn't right. didn't matter if I, I did it or not. It was still wrong. And a lot of times what happens is that the teenagers, they start to, they start to go in this, in, this, uh, in this vein. But as a young adult, we need to respect and revere our parents because, you know what? They are not perfect. This is why we honor our parents. God said you need to honor them. The bad thing is, is that many parents aren't honorable. It's difficult. There are no perfect parents. I believe that's why God gave us that commandment. Honor your parents, because there are no perfect parents. God, the perfect father, he has rebellious kids. And so we have to recognize that because there are no, you know, there are no perfect parents, we don't have to honor what they did or what they're doing, but we honor them because they brought us into this world. God used the DNA of one man and one woman, brought them together to create you. And he, brought, he used them to bring you into this planet. And another reason, as I said earlier, is it is a picture of authority. It helps us. Children that grow up in the teenage years and they don't respect authority, it, it's difficult for them to find jobs. It's difficult for them to have any relationships because, and it's difficult for them in the, in the real world as far as the police is concerned and anything else because they don't respect authority. And so as a young child, we have to, as a young adult, we have to learn how to respect and revere our parents. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, it says, besides this, we have all, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? The, the parents that God has given us, we, we, were, we were supposed to have learned with godly parents how to respect, how to revere, how to, how to obey, how to listen. And here in this verse in chapter 12 of Hebrews, if you ever go back and you read this, I'd like for you to, to look at this. What, what, what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is this, is this, you, you were disciplined as a child because your parents loved you. They didn't go around disciplining every kid in the block, though I'm sure I, I mean, there's many times I wanted to. But uh, you didn't go around disciplining all these other unruly children. You took care of your own. 
And then the writer says something to the effect of, you know, if, if God has disciplined you, then you should count it joy because this means that God loves you. If he doesn't discipline you, maybe you're not his child. And so if you're going through this life, and I'm veering off a little bit, if you're going through this life and everything seems to be okay, then maybe there's something wrong. There's a disconnect there between you and God because I know that I fall all the time, and God disciplines me to put me back on the right track. And a lot of people, what they do is they, when they discipline their child and they, tr they try to bring them up, they, they call it punishment, or they even do what's called punishment. And as I said before, punishment has to do with the past. Punishment has to do with anger. Punishment has to do with things that I've done. See, but discipline has to do with the future. I want you to get better. I want you to go in the right direction. Discipline is done in love as opposed to anger because I love you. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Discipline is not focused on the past, and, it, and, it's not fo and it's not focused in anger, but it's focused on making you a better person. And the unfortunate thing for a lot of parents and a lot of people, or children even, they were punished instead of disciplined. And so because God loves you, he disciplines you. Because we love our children, we discipline them, and we help them to respect and to revere our the, the elders. In Leviticus 19.3, it says, Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. We need to respect them. Now, I understand that most of the people that I'm talking to right now are at this third stage in life as an adult. As an adult, and now that we're older, now that we have children, and it's something like what Mark Twain once said. You know, when I was a child, my mom was so ignorant. She was so dumb. She didn't know anything. And all of a sudden, at, at, when I grew up, I realized, wow, mom is really smart. <laughs> She's so, she, she is so intelligent. She knows a lot. And it's kind of like what happens, well, at least it happened to me. When I started having children, I used to go back to my mom. I used to apologize. Mom, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, really, geez, now I understand what you were talking about. She would always tell me in Spanish, me la vas a pagar, vas a ver, you're going to pay for this, you wait and see. And, and, and uh, you remember that? Me la vas a pagar. I always thought it was because, you know, I'm going to get a spanking or something else. But later in life, I realized, okay, I see what you're saying. Now it's coming back to me. Now it's got, me la vas a pagar. <laughs> she would say, mom, now I understand what you were saying. And that, yes, it's, okay, I, I've got a. Can I do this? All? Is there an overs? <laughs> Can we do this all over again? As an adult, I need to appreciate and provide for my parents, my mom, fathers. And when we obey, when Paul is talking about children, he's talking about grown children. He's talking about little children. He's talking about all, all, all sizes and all parts of a child. He says, you know what? You need to appreciate them, provide for them. See, we need to appreciate them for the suffering and for the work that they did and how they cared and all the things that they could have done without, you know, and, and they did without, I mean, and, and all, all the things they could have just done, but yet they were raising children. I think one of the biggest parts in, in, in my life, one of the greatest blessings and greatest seasons of my life right now is being a grandfather. And as a grandfather, I can just lavish my grandchildren with love and, and things and trips and all kinds of stuff. As a matter of fact, every week when they visit, they come out and say, okay, what are we going to do now, Grandpa? I say, oh, we'll figure it out. Let's go, see what, let's go see what kind of trouble we can get into. But let's go do something, you know? And we're always doing something. And once one of my kids says, how can you do that with us? I says, well, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> 
trying to figure it out. Be, we were doing life. You know, we were working hard. We were go, I was going to school. I was working another job, and we planted a church, and, and you know, we paying bills and making sure you guys, we we're trying to keep you guys alive is what we were doing. And, uh, you know, that was, our life was busy, and we were trying to motivate and care and everything else. And now, you know, hey, that's your job. Just let me have fun with them. You know, I'll do what I can. And, and there's a difference there. And so as we get older, we appreciate the elderly. You know, as you know, most of you know that my mom passed away right around Christmas, right before Christmas. And uh, when people ask me, so how's your mom doing? I have to remind them or tell them, you know, because a lot of people were praying for my mom. And one, one of the things that I always go back to us is like, you still got your mom? Yeah, call her. Man, I don't like to, I don't care if you don't like talking to her. Listen to her. Appreciate her. You don't have to do what she says. Visit her. Uh, encourage her. Let her know she was a big influence and an impact on your life. Give her, the, you know, the, just the, the honor that is due her. Yeah, but, you know, forget about all the stuff in the past. You know, th there's nothing you can do about it. You can ask for forgiveness. You can, you can even ask her if she's, you know, offer forgiveness. But call her. Because now, at this age, all their friends are, are gone. Their, their brothers, their sisters, their siblings are, are gone, most of them. And, and if they're at that age, or, you know, my mom was 83, you know, and if they're still at that age, th there's nobody else but us. A and you encourage them, and you love them, and you appreciate them for what they did, and you give them the honor that they deserve. You see, the Bible, when, when it talks about family, there's no way that you can improve on that. There's no way you can improve on the family life. There's no way you can improve on the marriage. The marriage is perfect according to God's eyes if you follow its plans. Children, you know, when they're brought up in the fear and nurture of the Lord, it's perfect. Uh, you know, all of, all of what we've been talking about has been attacked by the world. It's been attacked by this culture. Everything that we are building on from God's word, and this is why I said earlier, this is for you. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be laughed at. You homeschooled your kids. You take them to church. I had somebody tell me the other day, he says, you know, uh, I, I don't like church because I was forced to go to church. I was, religion was forced on me. And I, and I wish I had thought about this at that time. But as I started thinking about it, I says, you know, that's kind of hypocritical, isn't it? Because your parents had to force you to do a lot of things. They had to force you to go to bed. They had to force you to eat your vegetables. They had to force you to go to school. You know, and so you're only going to rebel against uh, church and not food. <laughs> you're not going to stop eating because they forced you to eat food. This is what we do with kids. We, we help them to see the right path. And it's unfortunate for a lot of people that you don't have honorable parents. But as an adult, we appreciate them, and we provide for them. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Do not despise your mom. If you still have your mom, call her. Just tell her thanks. Let her talk to you. You know, she might be nagging, and it's okay. she wants the best for you. However it is that it's coming across that you might receive it, you're always criticizing, oh, yeah, okay, you know what? All she wants is for you to do well. That's all she wants. She wants you to do good. And a little bit of love tossed her, her way from time to time with the visit.
the submission of parents. As a child, I obey and listen. As a young adult, I respect and revere. As an adult, I appreciate and provide. But as a parent, I provide godly direction. Ephesians 6, 4 says, well, first of all, uh, Colossians 3.21, in the New, Interna- uh, New American Standard Bible, it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And f- Ephesians chapter 6 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And how, what does that mean? How does that, what does that look like? You know, there, there's, there's been this list that's gone around. I, I, I preached this years ago, and I had the same list. And I, I just read it again from uh, John MacArthur's commentary. I think the first time I got it was from Rick Warren. And, but I've seen it on the Internet. And this, it's an exhaustive list. I mean, there's all kinds of things on how it is that you can exasperate your children. I just want to go over this with you uh, right now. And, it, and it's very, uh, uh, it's not in your outline. So go ahead and take notes if you'd like. Because I want to start off with how do I, how can parents exasperate their children? How can they provoke them to anger? Because look at this once again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger because these things that we do causes anger inside of them. And the thing about a child being angry, we tell them, don't be angry, don't get mad. And they don't know how else to respond to what is going on in their little minds. They don't know how to, to react except for trying to do what they're telling me not to do. But I don't like what's happening. I don't like how you're treating me. I don't like what you're doing to me. And we... we we, uh, we provoke them to this anger that just builds up inside of them. And then we wonder why we have violent teenagers. I don't know. I, I took care of him and he got, went all crazy. But the NASB, I like, the, I like that expression, how it says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. How many children in our world today are losing heart? How many children do you see that are growing up with, with lost hearts? And not connecting with others. This, this whole thing about, you know, trying to separate the kids and isolate them and, and you know, trying to keep them away from everybody, trying to do school on Zoom. And, you know, it, it was devastating. We're still not done seeing all the results of what happened with, with these kids and how they separated them, how they, how they isolated them and how they keep them apart. And you still have schools with masks and all kinds of other things. And, you know, masks are essential I, I guess in some places and if you need them you need them wear them I understand that you know but this whole thing about putting everybody in one box to experiment on it was kind of a you know I think it was a bad experiment but here we go how do we how do we exasperate our children fathers do not provoke your children to number one by being overprotective by being overprotective parents can exasperate their kids by overprotectionism Parents never allow their children any liberty. They have a strict rules about everything. No matter what their children do, overprotective parents do not trust them because nothing they do earns their parents' trust. Children begin to, dis, uh, to despair and may believe that how they behave is irrelevant. That can lead to rebellion. Parents are, so, are, parents are to provide rules and guidelines for the children, but those rules should not become a noose that strangles them and provokes them to anger, but it's supposed to give them boundaries as what they should do. And there's a fine line in there. I know you want to keep your kids in, in, at a place where you, you, you want to protect them, but overprotecting, not doing anything, allowing them to do anything, 
that can provoke a child anger. Number two, showing favoritism. When there's two or three kids in the house. Or maybe just showing favoritism and comparing them with other kids that you see. They're nie they're, uh, your nieces, your nephews, or other kids in school. You know, that guy's better than you. I mean, look, look at, you know, I like him better. Or I like her better. You know, just showing favoritism. And sometimes that just happens automatically. Just, there's just a strong attraction sometimes to the oldest child. I, I was the oldest child. All my other brothers and sisters called me the golden child. He could never do anything wrong. Okay. <laughs> you just don't know. And, and it, just, it just trickled down, and everybody else was upset. And when you, over, when you are showing favoritism, it, it, it causes this rivalry within the siblings or classmates. Number three, underappreciated. Parents exasperate their children by depreciating their worth. It, you know, many children have been convinced that, that what they do and how they feel is not important. And what you're communicating to a child is that they are not significant. Many, many parents uh, depreciate the children's worth by refusing to listen to them, to refusing to, what, you know, just to hear them out. And uh, sometimes they're under, they feel underappreciated. Number four, setting unrealistic goals. Uh, the, you know, just setting these goals that kids sometimes just don't, can't can achieve. I remember one of the goals that I used to set was I wanted, you know, the rooms cleaned. And I walked in and it sure didn't look clean to me. But to my kids, you know, everything was under the bed. Everything was in the closets. You know, I can walk through here and through there. It's clean, you know. <laughs> Put stuff on top of the bed. I, I got a path. That was clean to them. I couldn't, we, we didn't understand. We weren't seeing eye to eye as to my definition of clean and their definition of clean. And so there was these unrealistic goals that actually the goals weren't even specified. Here's how I want your room to be clean. Okay. I, I can do, we can do that. Uh, number five, failing to show affection. And, and I think this happens with a lot of fathers. It's difficult to show affections to their son. You know, they just kind of give a head a wink or something or a handshake, and it's difficult to show that affection for some reason. Uh, but we need to communicate that love, both verbally and physically. Hugs and, and you know, a kiss on the cheek. And, and failing to do so will discourage and alienate a child. Sometimes kids just feel like, okay, well, I guess mom don't love me. I've, I've talked to many people. My dad never loved me. He never showed affection to me. He just never did. And I never felt loved. And what ends up happening is they end up going to different places and trying to find love in the best places possible that they can think of. Number six, not providing basic needs. We're getting into a certain just basic abuse, you know, just not providing a, a shelter, a home, food, uh, uh, just things that a child needs, basic needs. And, and kids grow up thinking that's normal until they realize that's not normal. Seven, be, uh, being wishy-washy. In other words, no, no, you can't do that. No, no, no. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, the first response is always no. And then a little bit later, you get worn down. It's all right. You can do it. And so kids, <laughs> kids kind of catch up on that. They know that after three or four no's, they're going to get their yes. So they keep pushing your buttons and pushing your buttons until finally you say, okay, whatever. And now, it's, it's important to say no to a lot of things and some things, but don't be wishy-washy. Don't, you know, fail to discipline when it needs to be disciplined. Or discipline, uh, you know, some people discipline inconsistently. Don't be wishy-washy. Uh, constant criticism. Just constantly just criticizing the child. You're dumb, you're slow, you're, 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 you're whatever. Just criticizing the child. 
that just drives a child to anger and exasperation. Whatever. Just throws his hands up in the air. Being neglectful. Uh, you know, the classic biblical example is uh, Absalom. David was indifferent to him. And the result was rebellion. And Absalom was one of David's sons and uh, wanted to kill David himself. Parents need to be involved in your children's life and not neglect them and, uh, and just participate. I know life is busy and I know life is hard, but we have to not neglect. And then excessive discipline, number 10. Excessive discipline. These are just the top 10. I mean, there's, there's many, there's, there's more that you can put on this list. You know, don't make fun of your kids. Don't laugh at them, you know. Don't, don't, uh, don't pit them against each other, you know, intentionally. I mean, you know, the list can go on and on. You can probably add some to yourself, you know, if you, if you wanted to. But th- this, is, this is the part where parents are guided and they're, they're to provide godly direction. They're to provide, number two, godly instruction for your children. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Going back to Ephesians chapter 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Bring them up in instruction of the Lord. Don't let them try to figure this out on their own. When they get old enough, they can figure out what they want to do. You bring them up in the care and the nurture of the Lord. On the back of your outline is um, as employees. As an employee, number one, bond servant or slave can be equated now today as an employee or somebody that you work for. Remember that, that, that slave, uh, slavery back then, uh, it, was, it was brutal, it was harsh, you know, for those that didn't care about human uh, life. And for the Greeks and the Romans, a slave was basically just another tool. It was another tool in the shed. The Jews had slaves, though, but they had slaves because the people that they were uh, owners of owed them money, and the slaves there would work it off in their houses. And for a lot of people, they had slaves that were intelligent. They were educators. Some of them raised the children. And so they did things in the household that brought honor to the family. And they weren't necessarily treated as we see slavery today, quote, unquote, you know, bondage or whipping. I mean, a lot of that did happen, but most of the time, Slavery was a way of being able to pay off a debt. And after your debt was paid, then what would happen is you would, uh, you, would, you would either have the choice of going free or being there at the house. And a lot of times the, the landowner would come out and say, you know what, it's, it's paid for. Your debt is paid. Move on. But I like it here. Well, if you want to stay here, then we'll put a, an, uh, a ring on your ear and you're now my employee in a sense. You're my slave. I'll take care of you. I'll feed you. I'll clothe you. But everything that he did didn't belong to him. Nothing that he worked for was his. It was for the landowner. And so when when people were coming to Christ, and some of them were slaves, a lot of them were slaves. Christianity was really more of the lower class population because these were the ones that were hurting. And those that had well-to-do means and and were working hard and had a lot of money, they, they, yeah, I don't need Christ. I'm good. I have my relationship with God. And in in that sense, when Paul is talking to the bond servants, those that have sold themselves into slavery, so those that have 
committed themselves to work for this master, he says, obey them in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with the sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And that, in, that indicates right here, not by way of eye service. In other words, you can do just enough, and then when he walks away, you can stop doing. And the, 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 the master would come out and look and say, okay, you, you haven't done enough. Come on. You know, he would say stuff like that, but I'm working as hard as I can. I know how much you can work. It gives you the indication that a lot of these bond servants, they were there because they wanted to be there. It was, an, it was a good life. They didn't have to try to buy anything or earn anything. It was all provided for them. And so when Paul says, you know, you do this as if you're working for the Lord. You do this as if this is something that, that, uh, that God is depending you to do, not as a people pleaser, not because you want to get in the good graces of your master. You work hard, always work hard, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord, because you, know, you, may, not, you may not be afraid of your master, but you should fear the Lord. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul says this, Let all who are under a yoke of bondage regard their own master as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. When people work at a job, and this is, you know, I'm a Christian, I go to church, and I, I, I serve, I'm a deacon, uh, you know, and this is what I do. But yet your conduct at the office or on the field is different brings a bad name, gives a black eye to the church and to God and to Jesus Christ. And God's name and his teaching is reviled. People are just up against it. One, there was one time I went to go, I went to a, a rental yard and to pick up some, some supplies for the church and we were going to do some outdoor events and we needed barricades. And, and so this, this company was going to lend them to us. Just take them and bring them back as soon as you're done. They're yours. Oh, cool. So took my truck, took my trailer. And we're, we're developing, you know, these things. And one of the guys asked, so what's this for? I says, because uh, our boss says, come out here and help you with this. I said, oh, this is for our church. We're going to have an event. I'd like you guys to come. And one of the guys that was working there says, oh, yeah, I go to church. The other worker says, you do? <laughs> you go to church? And you can just see him turn all red. I said, brother, that's not a really good witness. You know that. That's not a good thing that he doesn't even know you go to church, let alone and a lot of times, the, our demeanor, our behavior at the workplace really just stinks. Most people don't even recognize that you're a Christian. Most people don't even recognize that you are serving God. And rightly so for some people because they're afraid. You shouldn't be, but you're afraid. You're afraid of what they might say. You're afraid of what might happen. I might get fired. Um, you're not there preaching you know, during work hours, you're not there trying to convert everyone that comes along your path. You're not there taking away your time from work to get into a Bible study. That's not what Paul is calling here for us to do. He says we work hard as if you're working for the Lord a and you do the work as you're supposed to do the work. And in, in, in the times that you're able to meet with people, meet with them, share, pray with them, but do your job diligently. Why? Because our reward is from God, not from man. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. Not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance 
as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So as you would at church, as you would anything else, work at it as if you're working for God. You see, because one day, as the book of Revelation tells us, one day, as John says, that he saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. When Paul talks about these rewards uh, that you're going to be receiving, when Paul talks about receiving this inheritance as your reward, uh, when Paul is talking about something that is to take place in the future, John identifies that and brings it to us. And he says, one day, everything's going to be opened. The books are going to be opened. You're going to be exposed. And God's going to see everything that you've done. And you will be rewarded as such. You will receive rewards. Now, there's a lot of controversy as, to, as far as what the rewards are in heaven. Okay? But there's a hierarchy of, of eternal life. And those that have really committed their life to Christ and have served Christ in an honorable way will receive rewards as to those that just want to say, you know, I just want to eke in. I'll hold the door open. Just let me be the door opener. You know, that's all, I, I, I don't, as long as I'm in heaven. Beloved, there's, there's some things that uh, you're going to be rewarded for. And in heaven, the economy is different. And again, there's a lot of different ways of looking at that. But know that there are rewards. Right here, John is telling us that. And he says, And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what they had done. There's a time that we're all going to get judged. And we're all going to be rewarded. And we're all going to be found and weighed and measured. And when, when this takes place, of course, this is at the end times. This is in chapter 20 of Revelation. We're already having uh, the rapture is already taking place. The tribulation is going on. And then Jesus Christ returns, and he sets up the millennial. The millennial kingdom is set up, and it's set up for a thousand years. The thousand years is over, and he lets Satan loose for a season. Again, we don't know except for what John says. He's only let loose for a season. doesn't have a whole lot of commentary on it but he's let loose for a season again there's all kinds of definitions as to what that season is we don't know it could be another thousand years it could be another uh time as as long a time as, as the world has been in existence today we don't know but this we do know he will be let loose and he will be bringing people in and then the last war will come and, and right it during the millennial just so you're clear on this during the millennial according to what Reve paul is telling us john is telling us in revelation that when Jesus Christ returns and the angels and all of us that have been raptured with him are returning with him, when that happens, he binds up Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, and he throws them in the bottomless pit. This is not hell. After the millennial, he lets each one of these go, and then when that war finishes, the war of Armageddon finishes, then he starts tossing them one at a time into Hades, hell. And, and there are a lot of people that believe that Satan is in hell right now, that people have gone to hell right now. Hell is vacant, beloved. Hell, hell is not being occupied at the moment. 
It, it is being prepared, and, it, and it's already there, but, but the bottomless pit is where the angels are at that were captured back in the days of Noah. Uh, the, the, the bottomless pit is where all these angels are at that are getting ready to come out and cause this havoc during the time of the revelation. The bottomless pit is a pit that is bottomless, basically, and that's where Satan's going to be cast at. But after he comes out of there, he's going to cast them into Hades, hell. And when that takes place, these books are going to be opened, and these books are going to be opened, and the sea's going to give up the dead, and everybody that's in it. Death and Hades have uh, gave up dead, the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. There's a reckoning. There's a reckoning. And some of you are thinking, well, you know, my parents were just like, you know, I... I can't honor that. I think this is one of the hardest messages for some people that have gone through a difficult time as a child. I remember one time when I, we were preaching the, through the Ten Commandments, and I came to this portion, honor your father and your mother. This young lady came, I, I will never honor my father. I could never honor him, never. And then my mom, for allowing to happen what happened. You know, that's just, I, I can't do that. I understand that. It's difficult. But you see, we're not to honor what they did. We honor, we honor them because of who they are. That's why God put it in there. It's the top five. I mean, he put it up on the top list. Is you got to do this. Because it's not easy to do it willingly. It's not easy to do it. For some, it is. Some people had these amazing parents, you know, and, and even then you find chink in their honor, but still it's, it's easy to honor them in the, in, as they're older. But for some people, they, you just can't, and it's difficult. And it's not that you can't, you just don't want to. But you're called to do it. That's a command. And, and it's difficult to, to think about all these things because as we are gearing up to the time that we depart this world, either raptured or we die, then everything that we've done has been placed in these books, and we're going to have to give an account. But what about what my, what, you know what, when he gets here, you know, I've already dealt with him, and when they get there, I, I'm going to deal with them, but right now, what about you? What did you do? This is a personal application for each one of us. Because Paul goes on to say in, Rome, in Colossians 3.25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. The Lord will discipline the disobedient. God's going to take care of those that have been disobedient. Children, parents, uh, employees, employers, they may be treating you wrong. They may be treating you bad. Now, one of the things that I've been asked is, so what if my parents tell me to do something wrong? How am I supposed to honor them? How am I supposed to obey them? How am I supposed to listen to them? Well, if you remember correctly, Jesus said, you know, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring war. I came to bring a sword. I will be separating fathers from sons. And that happens in households where you're not, when they're not leading you toward the Lord. But God came and he sent his son to separate the, the mothers from their daughters. Daughter-in-laws from mother-in-laws. He says, not to bring peace upon them so everybody can get along, but there's going to be this point in time where your commitment to Christ is going to have to matter more than your commitment to your family, whether it was a good family or a bad family. And if your parents or 
employer or employee or the, whatever, the government, whatever, if they're telling you to do something that's contrary to God's word, Jesus said, that's where you, that's where you cut the ties at. That's where you cut ties at. You still have to honor them. You don't obey them. You still have to honor the, the, the position that they have because God's going to discipline, as Paul says, the wrongdoer will be paid back. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 6, 7, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. As an employer, treat justly and fairly. If you own a company, if you have people that work under you, masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And, and it goes back to Colossians chapter 3, verse 11. You see, all of this, slaves that were underneath their masters, parents and children, Everybody was getting saved and people were coming together in the church and they were all coming together and they'd say, well, hey, you know, that's uh, that's Jim, man. That's, some, that's my boss. You know, that's, you know, hey, that, that's Ralph. You know, I, I know Ralph. He works for me. You know, I didn't know you guys were Christian. I didn't know you were Christian. What Paul is establishing here is, is, look, there is this commonality that we need to be under and it is the banner of Jesus Christ. And as each one is doing their parts, wives submitting to their husbands, husbands loving their wives, children obeying their parents, parents not exasperating their children, employers, employees working as if working for the Lord, employers doing things rightly and justly. And then because you're getting people are getting saved out in the community and there's a church, you come together, you come to realize, hey, I know these guys. Because that is what Paul is talking about. He brings this community, this, this fellowship, this, this uh, ability to just come cohesively under Christ. And in Ephesians, Paul says, don't do things, you know, don't take advantage. Don't take advantage of the fact that he's your boss. And now he's a Christian. You still work as if you're working for the Lord. And, you know, don't, don't be lax because he's a Christian. You still have to operate your business in an ethical manner. Because as Paul says here back in Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, uh, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul's main focus was Jesus Christ being the center of it all within the context of the family, within the context of uh, relationships, in the context of the church. Because we come together. There's only one name. His name is the only name that we'll proclaim. Not the government, not the people I work for, not our jobs. His name is the one name we, we record and we continue to praise. That's the name that we come under. Amen? And when we understand that this is God's godly place, godly home and workplace. And when we come to understand that this is what the Bible is teaching us, Paul is teaching us to, to honor each other and to work with one another as if we're working for the Lord, because Christ is the center of it all. Now, I know that for some of you, you have businesses and places that you work at, and they're far from being godly. Um, please don't show up to work on Monday. Well, my pastor said here, this is what you got to do. No, no. This is for you. Okay? This is for you, parents. This is for you, child. This is for you, employees and employers. This is for you. And you do what God's called you to do. And you listen to 
to what God's called you to listen to. And you obey and you follow and you, and you do. You obey. And you love. And you listen. Respect your elders. Revere them. Appreciate them. Provide for them. Because they provide for you. And they have given to you. Let me ask you to stand. Next Sunday, we're going to finish up the book of Colossians. And we're going to go into 1 Thessalonians. There's a lot of end time prophecy in 1 Thessalonians. And, and it's going to be a... It's going to be an exciting book to go through, but we're going to finish up chapter four. And then uh, the Sunday after that, we're going to have our Seder. And the Sunday after that is going to be our Resurrection Sunday celebration. So if you'd like, you can start um, preparing for First Thessalonians and then Second Thessalonians, of course. And uh, we'll, we'll see a little bit about who the people in Thessalonica were, uh, what the city was all about. And how it was that it, uh, it reflects a lot of where we're at today as well. But we'll finish up uh, with verses uh, 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door through the word to declare the mystery of Christ on, a, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Father in heaven, thank you once again. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to gather around your word. And Lord, we know that as we uh, re revisit these verses and, and go over as we did back during the time of Ephesians, that it's, a, it's just an added reminder. It's confirmation, Lord, for each one of us and how we ought to build this unity, it starts in the family. It starts with the head of the household and the wife and the children. It starts at my workplace and how I respond and react to different things. Father, I thank you for giving a direction in, in those areas. And many of us have, have tried to live our life in such a manner. And we know that we fall and we fail. And we thank you for mercy and for your grace. So, Father, as, a, as another reminder in our life, help us to apply these principles to our life and to keep focused upon you. And everything that we do, whatever we do, that we do it as we're doing it unto you. So, Father, thank you for that. Lord, we love you, and uh, we expect to see even more of you throughout the week as we read your word in prayer and commitment, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. amen and amen. Thank you so much. Just wanted to give you a quick update on our um, Operation Mountain Strong. Uh, we still have some items here. We are taking some items up tomorrow. If anybody wants to continue to donate, you can. Uh, I think they're winding down now for uh, this portion of it, at least at this site. They might be moving to another site here um, very quickly. I don't know when that's going to be as of yet, but... Our fellowship hall is usable. We can go there and, and enjoy some coffee and some fellowship and some fellowshaping. All right? Thank you. God bless you guys.